This episode of Disease Du Jour is brought to you by equinevetedu.com, a free online educational platform for veterinarians, vet students, and vet techs, brought to you by Equimanagement. Visit equinevetedu.com for free race-approved CE and courses on topics of current interest. Welcome to Equimanagement's podcast, Disease Du Jour, where each podcast will delve into the research and current best practices for a variety of equine health problems with industry experts. I'm your host, Kimberly Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. Today's guest is Dr. Jack Easley, owner of Easley Equine Dentistry, based in Shelbyville, Kentucky. Dr. Easley received his DVM degree from Tuskegee University in 1976. After completing a large animal internship at Oklahoma State University, he served as an associate professor of surgery at Kansas State University from 1978 to 1980, where he completed an equine surgical residency and received a master's degree in surgery. It was at KSU under the direction of Dr. Gene Schneider that Dr. Easley's interest in equine dentistry began to bloom. Dr. Easley served as the first equine surgeon for the newly established Virginia Polytechnic Institute Virginia Maryland College of Veterinary Medicine as an associate professor of surgery from 1980 to 1982. Then in 1982, Dr. Easley was certified as a diplomate for the American Board of Veterinary Practitioners in Equine and was recertified in 1992, 2002, and 2011. In 1982, Dr. Easley and his wife, Sydney, returned to their childhood home with their three children to establish a private equine veterinary practice as the next step in his career. Dr. Easley is an active member in the American Association of Equine Practitioners, and he's a member of the American Veterinary Dental Society, International College of Equine Veterinary, and you're going to have to say this for me, Dr. Easley, Odontology, Odontology, American Veterinary Medical Association, Kentucky Veterinary Medical Association, Kentucky Association of Equine Practitioners, Kentucky Veterinary Medical Association, and the Equine Dental Vets and Australian Association that's got worldwide educational opportunities. For more than 30 years, Dr. Easley has globally promoted, lectured, and written about equine veterinary dentistry. He was the co-editor and a major contributor to Equine Dentistry, the book that was published in 1999, and has been printed since then in Spanish and German. And he's participated in more recent editions of that book. The Veterinary Clinics of North America released an Advanced Equine Dentistry Edition in the fall of 2013 with Dr. Easley serving as guest editor and contributor. Dr. Easley has strived for more than 20 years to create a specialty board for equine dentistry, and in 2013, he and 18 colleagues from around the world passed the first boards given to the 24 veterinarians. He received diplomate status in the spring of 2014 when the American Veterinary Dental College Equine Specialty was formally recognized by the American College of Veterinary Dentistry and the AVMA. So thank you, Dr. Easley, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to talk about equine dentistry. I'm so, glad to be here. So let's first just jump in and talk about how much has equine dentistry changed since you first became interested in it? Uh, equine dentistry has uh, changed dramatically in the last, especially the last 25 years. Uh, it seems like for the first uh, several thousand years of equine dentistry, because recent archaeological digs have actually shown that dentistry was practiced in uh, the Far East as early as 1500 BC. 
uh, and they've noticed uh, horses that have had their deciduous teeth removed and their wolf teeth removed. And so it's a, it's a, it's been around about as long as horses have been bitted. Uh, but just the last 25 years has been a real renaissance in equine dentistry. And uh, we understand uh, dental anatomy, physiology of mastication, uh, different types of dental diseases much better today than we ever have uh, in the history of veterinary medicine. And so it's changed the way we approach dentistry. Uh, 50 years ago, uh, dentistry was practiced uh, as a profession basically to improve bidding performance on horses by floating off sharp enamel points. And we know now that that's only one small aspect of dentistry and that horses really have suffered from all the different types of dental disease that we see in people and dogs and cats and all other species of animals. Uh, and uh, it's interesting, there was a, a book published in uh, the early 1900s by Lewis Marlett, who was a veterinary surgeon then, and he states in that book that equine dentistry owes its, or no, veterinary dentistry owes its existence to sharp enamel points and human dentistry owes its existence to caries because the only thing that was done in dentistry at that time was filling cavities on people and pulling teeth and with with veterinary dentistry basically small animals were uh, not a, a major thing to work on but horses were and sharp enamel points were really the only thing that was taken care of. So we know now that uh, there are lots of other things that affect a horse's mouth other than sharp enamel points. So floating teeth is only one of the many procedures we do with dentistry. Well, and when we were talking earlier, you say that a good equine dental exam means you have to have the right equipment. So let's walk through what is the right equipment that a veterinarian needs to have in his or her truck? Yeah. Uh, well, you need to be able to uh, do an oral exam to be able to diagnose a problem before you can treat it. And uh, so to do a proper oral exam on a horse, you have to have the horse restrained. And so most horses need to be sedated so that they're relaxed and they're not chewing and moving their tongue when you're doing an oral exam. Uh, and then you need to have a mouth speculum. You need to be able to both feel and look inside the mouth. So you need to have a good light source. And then to be able to see the occlusal surfaces of the teeth, you need to have a dental mirror and then some picks and probes to be able to clean out periodontal pockets and uh, probe the occlusal surfaces of the teeth. So that's sort of minimal equipment to be able to do a proper dental exam. Okay, and one of the things that you have mentioned before when you've talked about this is if you find something abnormal, you have to look at what's going on under the gum. Yeah. So what's the and next so, step? Well, that's just it. If You know, you need to take a proper history on the horse uh, and then uh, consider the horse's signalment because there's breed differences and size differences uh, among horses that can predispose to different dental conditions. And uh, then from your uh, oral exam or dental exam, uh, if you find something that's abnormal inside the mouth, then you need to explore the rest of the tooth carefully. So let's say we do an oral exam and we find a crown fracture or 
uh, a large uh, carious defect in a, a upper molar or a lower molar, uh, then you really can't tell what's going on with that tooth from just your oral exam. And so you need some radiographs. And so most veterinarians have radiographic capability because they're radiographing other parts of the horse's body. And so most horses, once you diagnose that they actually have a, a bad tooth or bad teeth, uh, a radiograph can be extremely helpful in showing you what the problem is because uh, what you see inside the mouth doesn't already always reflect what you see underneath the gum. And you kind of likened it to doing a lameness exam as doing your, your dental yeah. exam. Well, if you, uh, I mean, if you do a dental exam and you find a defect in a tooth or some abnormality, then you can say, well, the horse has got this problem and float its teeth. And that would be the equivalent of you doing a lameness exam and watching the horse jog and saying, well, this horse is lame in the right front, so let's give him some butte. Uh, you know, you, you really need to investigate the problem further to be able to come to a diagnosis of what the problem is. And then you can actually treat the problem rather than just kind of palliatively patching the horse up to where it can get by for a little while, and, but the problem's still there. And so vets and horse owners expect better dental care today, and we would prefer to have veterinarians be doing this work or it to be done at least under the auspices of a veterinarian who knows what he's looking for. So we talked about needing, you know, their, their proper dental equipment, proper diagnostical equipment and sedation. You know, how do you think that veterinarians are doing today on getting this equipment and having it ready and, and knowing how to use it? And what would you suggest to educate them? Well, I think that veterinarians are doing a much better job today than they've ever done before. Uh, and that has started with efforts of the AAEP to uh, get in the veterinary schools and start training both uh, students as well as faculty members uh, about the importance of dentistry and how to properly do a dental exam and then how to uh, use advanced imaging techniques, radiographs, and then now CT and other things to come to a diagnosis. And so I think the level of training uh, for veterinary students and continuing education programs for veterinarians has improved tremendously in the last, especially the last 20 years. Uh, so veterinarians are better trained in dentistry than they've ever been, but there's still uh, so much knowledge out there that with all the other things that veterinarians have to do, it's hard to uh, really uh, be really good at doing everything. Uh, so dentistry is something that you have to have both a knowledge about, but you also have to have some interest in it. And you know, all veterinarians don't have interest in doing reproductive work. Some veterinarians love reproductive work. Other veterinarians would rather look at a lame horse. Uh, and it's the same way with dentistry. There's some veterinarians that are not interested in doing dentistry and they should pass that work on to somebody that is. Uh, but every veterinarian needs to have a basic understanding of dental problems in the horse and realize that there is more to dentistry than just floating teeth. Um, and I think that's one of the drawbacks of having non-veterinarians performing dentistry unsupervised by veterinarians because it gives 
horse owners the impression that if somebody's floated my horse's teeth, then my horse's teeth must be good, and that they've done a good oral exam, and that they've, if surely if there was some pathology in the mouth, they would have picked it up when they floated the teeth, and that's not really the case. I mean, you can float horses' teeth all day and never diagnose a dental problem because you never really look in the mouth. And uh, so, you know, I see horses at least one a week that's just recently had their teeth floated or maybe had their teeth floated two or three times by several different people uh, and they've got a fractured tooth or an abscess tooth or even a dental tumor that has gone undetected because nobody did a close exam. And the veterinarian is the person that's uh, trained and qualified and has the right uh, sedation and equipment to do that. And they're the people that should take the responsibility for caring for horses' dental needs. And if they uh, use a technician to do some of the floating work or uh, they should do that under, uh, with those people under their supervision, where they're overseeing their work and understand what they're doing, not just sending them out to do the work on their own. And, you know, when, one of the things that you have said before is you can't treat most dental disease with a float. Right. So what are some of the common dental diseases that veterinarians should be aware of and maybe should add to their list of, hey, I need to know a little more about this? Well, there are uh, most horses that actually have sore teeth or a dental problem truly have a bad tooth. Uh, they don't just have sharp enamel points in their mouth. Uh, and so to diagnose a bad tooth or bad teeth, uh, you do need to do a detailed exam. And so any time that you see a horse that has uh, a long tooth in their mouth, or has a malocclusion problem and hooks in the front and hooks in the back. Uh, those type things can be a, uh, a structural problem with, uh, you know, just a malocclusion, and it can either be a dental malocclusion or a bony malocclusion where the upper jaw is larger than the lower or vice versa. Uh, and, but you can also find horses that have tumors that are growing in their head. Uh, diseased teeth, abscesses in their jaws, uh, secondary sinus disease, uh, problems with temporomandibular joints or uh, other structures in the jaw bones that uh, are causing secondary issues. And you really have to do a, a careful exam and evaluate all of those things to come to a diagnosis of what the problem is. Now the other thing that that goes beyond just the horse's problem is a lot of times we're dealing with horses that actually have some sort of a riding problem or a training problem and those are whole different issues and um, when you're talking about evaluating horses that that's the history you know I want you to examine my horse because he's shaking his head or he's when I ride him he uh, is aggravated when I go to the, put pressure on the right rein, uh, or his disposition's changed. Uh, you know, this is a horse that used to be a mild-mannered, easy-to-get-along-with horse, and now he won't let me put a bit in his mouth, or he uh, attacks me when I try to touch his face. Uh, all of those things can indicate 
a horse that's having some sort of discomfort. And that requires a whole different type of investigation. And that starts with questioning the owner about, uh, you may even need to watch the owner ride the horse or bit the horse. You need to look at the tack. You know, does the bit fit? Does it, uh, is it the proper tight bit and uh, halter or bridle that the horse needs for the discipline he's in? I mean, uh, I find all the time horses having, uh, they've got a, a bridle and the bit's on backwards. Or they've got, uh, a, you know, a, a curb bit and no curb chain. Or a... Uh, or the bit's damaged. You know, they've got a bit that uh, has got a, a broken place in it or a sharp spot that's injuring the horse's mouth. Uh, and then we also find horses that have uh, conditions that cause uh, head pain that are related to uh, head shaking conditions and riding problems that uh, the horse may have a dental problem, but the dental problem is not necessarily, it's secondary to this other problem. And you'll find that with horses that have uh, hyoid bone issues, where they have osteoarthropathy of the hyoid bone or fractured hyoid bone, and they'll start to masticate differently. And so that'll cause them to wear their teeth at a different kind of angle. But floating the teeth isn't gonna fix the problem. It, you know. Uh, it's a secondary neurological and pain problem that's causing the horse to chew that way. You find horses that can have what's called trigeminal neuropathy, which is a sensitivity in the trigeminal nerve. Now, and that nerve gives off three branches. One goes to the eye, one goes to the upper jaw, one goes to the lower jaw. And so horses that have head shaking uh, secondary to that, that can be caused from a dental problem but it can be caused from lots of other problems too. And so you have to be able to differentiate which problem you're looking at. And often we'll find a horse that uh, will have a dental issue and he has trigeminal neuropathy, but the dental issue is not related to it. <laughs> you know, it's just a secondary finding. So it can be confusing sometimes and you have to be a really astute diagnostician to figure out a lot of those problems. And again, uh, those horses can have sharp enamel points and have a bidding issue, but it doesn't mean that the sharp enamel points are causing the bidding issue. Uh, so there's lots of other things that affect uh, the horse's comfort in his head. A an interesting uh, condition that's just recently been uh, described in the last 10 years in the veterinary literature uh, affects old horses. Uh, you know, we have, there's more geriatrics around today than ever before. And uh, there's a condition that affects their incisor teeth that is called uh, equine odonoclastic tooth resorption with hypersementosis, big long name, E-O-T-R-H. Uh, and this is a condition that can affect both the incisor teeth as well as the cheek teeth. Uh, and resorptive lesions uh, in the, they affect the reserve crown and root of the tooth. 
uh, and it's an internal resorption of the tooth. And we don't really know what causes it, but we'll occasionally see it in a horse as young as 11 or 12, just the beginnings of it. But once you get into horses that are in their 20s, the incidence and the severity of this problem becomes more severe. And with some horses, they can have really severe decay inside their teeth, uh, but their mouth and gums look very healthy. And so you have to have a radiograph to diagnose it. And some of those horses are not painful. They don't, it, it doesn't seem to bother them clinically at all. And then you have other horses that are extremely painful from this condition and will have pustules in their gums and their, they'll have uh, black kind of carious lesions in their, the crowns of their teeth. Uh, and sometimes they'll have, the, you'll first get called out to look at them because they have a broken incisor tooth. Uh, and then you x-ray their teeth and all their incisors are bad. And uh, those horses, uh, it can be a diagnostic challenge uh, to figure out exactly what's going on with some of them. And, uh, and the pain is difficult to evaluate in horses. You know, there's a, a website that you can get on uh, equine pain face, uh, where they've tried to describe different horses' expressions uh, and the way they hold their ears and the tightness of their uh, cheeks and uh, to get some kind of idea about whether horses are painful or not. Uh, it's, a, it's a condition that uh, usually affects older horses. It uh, tends to be progressive. So once, it, once you diagnose it, if you follow up and radiograph this horse every year, every two or three years, you can see the progression of the disease. Some horses are extremely painful with this problem, and pain is a difficult thing to evaluate. Uh, and so I have owners that uh, complain that uh, this horse used to have a really good disposition, and now it's cranky and aggravated all the time, or it uh, doesn't want anybody to, it used to take a carrot and an apple, and now it won't eat treats anymore, will bite a carrot. Uh, we used to be able to bit it and it would hold its head down to get the bit put in and now it's raising its head up and it's acting like it's uncomfortable when the bit hits its front teeth. Uh, so those are all indications that the horse is having some discomfort. And then when you do an oral exam on these horses, you may see really severe dental disease or you may just see one pustule in the gum. And then you radiograph them and the radiographs, the teeth are just some of them are just terrible. Uh, and so that's an, another condition that, you know, it's a disease that was not described until 2007. And then we've just now are getting to the point where we've got histopathology on it and follow up on these cases. And uh, so it's a disease that we're seeing more often but we're only seeing it and diagnosing it more often because we understand that it is a disease and we're doing better oral exams and we have radiographs because it's a disease that really you can't diagnose from just looking at the teeth. Uh, the, all of the disease portion of the tooth is under the gum and so you really need a radiograph to diagnose it. So I get asked all the time, uh, do you think this is a new disease uh, that we've never seen before? 
and it's not. It's a disease we've always seen before. But until we got digital radiographs, people didn't commonly radiograph the incisors on horses because you had to go out in the field, sedate the horse, take the radiograph, the horse is moving half the time, go back to the clinic, develop the radiographs, and you really couldn't tell anything about them anyway. Uh, but I've seen cases of this and have radiographs from 30 years ago and 40 years ago with horses with this condition, but we really didn't understand what we were looking at. We thought it was maybe a tumor or we just didn't understand and, and we would see it in the upper jaw and then you'd x-ray the lower jaw and it would be there. We thought, well, this can't be cancer because it wouldn't spread from the upper jaw to the lower jaw. So we went for years not uh, having any idea about what we were seeing or how to manage it until uh, we started getting some histopath on some of these uh, teeth and started looking at them closely. And then once we got the diagnosis made, and then we, and we understand this condition because we see resorptive lesions in other species of animals. It's very common in cats. And uh, the problem we're facing now is we don't have a good treatment for it other than extracting teeth because uh, there is nothing that, I mean, people have looked at hormone imbalances, mineral imbalances, uh, Cushing's disease, uh, 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 people that have used osphos to treat it with, there are uh, all kinds of different antibiotics uh, and nothing seems to change the progression of the disease. Uh, and, but once you remove the diseased teeth, the jaw bones get healthy, the gums get healthy, the horses get happy. And so it's a disease that uh, we know we can take the pain away from the horse by getting rid of the diseased teeth, but it would be lovely if we could come up with a way when, if you diagnose it in an 11-year-old horse and you know it's progressive, to stop the progression of the problem. And we haven't reached that point yet. Well, speaking of older horses, I know we did a survey last year and every single person who answered the survey said they had at least one horse over 15. And, you know, there's been research that's shown, you know, better veterinary care has helped horses live longer. But a lot of that's due to dentistry and what we've learned. So as veterinarians, we, you know that you're going to run into clients who have older horses. That's a fact of life. What specifically on their dental care do you think is the most important for these veterinarians to recognize? Well, I think that uh, one thing uh, that you need to realize is that because horses have hypsodont teeth that are constantly erupting and constantly wearing down, all horses will eventually wear their teeth out if they live long enough. I mean, it's just the, a truth. And so, uh, and the teeth, as they wear the teeth down toward the roots, there's less and less enamel in the tooth. And the enamel is the hard part, and it's also the part that gets sharp edges on it that allow a horse to chop up hay and uh, forage. So horses become less efficient at uh, chopping forage into fine particles as they age. They also, uh, because the teeth kind of shift around in the mouth and all dis dental disease seems to be progressive, 
as horses get older, we see more and more dental problems. So we find uh, the instance of periodontal disease becomes greater, the instance of infundibular caries or defects in the infundibulum of the tooth become uh, more common. Uh, we start to see loose teeth and smooth teeth, which uh, exaggerate abnormal wear patterns in the arcade. So I think that what the veterinarian needs to strive to do with older horses is to keep the mouth healthy, not necessarily keep the occlusal surfaces flat. Because remember that the only thing we can do with a float or a grinder is reduce crown. You can't add to the crown. And so once horses start to wear their teeth out, if you start grinding the tall teeth down as short as the short teeth, all you're doing is decreasing the life expectancy of all the teeth. So what we want to try to do is keep the arcade in occlusion, uh, keep real sharp uh, enamel points that might uh, cut the lips or the tongue or the cheek from uh, becoming present and keep the arcade in occlusion, but also uh, take the stresses off of teeth that are starting to shift in the mouth and keep periodontal pockets cleaned out. Uh, and if uh, teeth look like they're getting ready to fracture, if they get loose, remove the loose or really uh, d damaged teeth. Because once you get a rotten tooth out, the gums heal up, the mouth's healthy, there's no odor, there's no pain there. So I think with old horses, it's a continuous process of regular oral exams. Quite often there's no floating that needs to be done or maybe there's one point that needs to be taken down in the mouth. And, but you need to check all the gums around the teeth. You need to check the teeth for stability to make sure that there's no loose teeth uh, and take care of those problems as they come up. Then the other big thing that uh, because horses become less efficient with grinding forage as they get to be older, you have to adjust their diet. And so old horses tend to quid feed or make kind of feed balls in their mouth where they're not chopping the forage up real fine, they're just kind of mashing it and twirling it around in their mouth and making these little cigars that they drop out. They also tend to more commonly choke because of these unchewed boluses of food. And so uh, it become, they finally reach a point where you start needing to feed them some pre-chewed food. And so that's what the senior feeds and pelleted feeds are all about, is getting food that's already masticated and then packaging it to where you can deliver it to the horse and he can eat it well. And so when horses reach a point where they're beginning to get smooth teeth and an uneven bite, make sure they've got a good, healthy mouth and their gums are all healed and they don't have any loose teeth or peri periodontal pockets where they're packing food, and then adjust their diet and, and start them on a pelleted feed and some or pelleted forage and uh, pellets uh, in their senior feed. Uh, and a lot of times those feeds need to be wetted because uh, as horses eat real concentrated food, they need to make a lot of saliva to moisten that uh, pellet. 
And so quite often older horses, as they're put on pelleted feed, they, the increased incidence of choke from just having a dry bolus of food get caught in their throat. So often they'll need to have their uh, forage moistened and uh, so that they can eat it kind of as a slurry or a mash. Uh, but by adjusting their diet and keeping their mouth healthy, uh, you can keep these horses going forever. I've got horses in my practice that don't have one tooth in their head and they eat uh, wetted uh, hay pellets and senior feed and they just, I mean, it takes them long, longer to eat. You have to you know, feed them individually, uh, but they do great as long as you just pre-chew their food for them. Uh, then the other thing that uh, can contribute to dental disease and also cause problems with healing inside the mouth is to make sure that if you've got an old horse that if it has Cushing's disease or Pars Intermedia disease that uh, you get that diagnosed and under control because uh, horses that have problems with Cushing's disease it throws off all of their immune system, their ability for the mucosa in their mouth to heal. They're more susceptible to periodontal disease, oral ulcerations, uh, and they just don't thrive the way that horses that are on medication and under control do. So I think there's, you have to look at both aspects of that. You need to get their mouth in good, healthy shape. You need to adjust their diet and you need to make sure that their endocrine and their pituitary problems are taken care of. So for equine veterinarians who are interested in learning how to be better either diagnosticians or just in general want to know about equine dentistry, where are some of the best resources and education? I know you mentioned AEP. They actually have, I've seen their wet labs where they have you know, skulls they bring in and cadaver heads where they can actually work on horse mounts. Well, there are uh, several uh, opportunities for continuing education. Uh, I know that uh, the AEP at their, both at their annual meeting as well as some of their summer meetings have had uh, dentistry programs. Uh, some of the, the, both the Florida Equine Practitioners Association as well as the New England group and the Texas group have all had short courses or programs at their meetings where they uh, have dentistry, some with wet labs. Uh, VetPD uh, has had several uh, veterinary short courses. And then some of the dental instrument companies uh, you know, the instrument manufacturer companies for dental instruments also sponsor some short courses periodically. Um, the American Veterinary Dental College also uh, has an equine, a two-day equine program at their annual dental forum every year. Uh, and then the European Veterinary Dental College also has a, a good equine program. Uh, a lot of the material that is at those programs is more advanced material, but people that already feel comfortable doing routine dentistry, if you want to get uh, some more advanced uh, knowledge, then that's the place to go, is to uh, the Veterinary Dental College meeting or uh, the American Veterinary Dental College or the European Veterinary Dental College meetings, because 
that's where a lot of the cutting edge stuff is. Uh, that's where uh, EOTRH was first introduced. That's where uh, a lot of the stuff that's being done now with infundibular caries and uh, endodontic treatment of teeth and uh, oral and dental tumors, those type things get uh, emphasized at that meeting where a meeting where the AEP meeting is more of a general practitioner meeting. And so you're going to get a lot of uh, more practical uh, knowledge and things that you're going to see every day. So I think it depends on where, what level of dentistry you're, where you are at a certain point. If you're more of a novice and you're wanting to uh, learn more about uh, just providing good dental care for your clients, then I think the AEP or a VetPD program, one of those things is the place to start. And you have traveled around the world lecturing and working on horses uh, all over North America. You've seen thousands of horses. Is there a case that stands out in your mind that was so unique or was a difficult diagnosis that really makes you remember? Uh, well, let me, let me tell you the, the life-changing case that I had uh, this was years ago. This was probably, well, it was soon after I came to Kentucky, and I was working in Simpsonville and, uh, in a surgical practice in uh, early 1980s. And my associate had gone out to a farm and looked at a breeding stallion. And this horse had had a terrible bleed the night before. And there was blood in the feed trough, blood in the... Uh, water tank uh, and so uh, he suspected this horse had had a guttural pouch bleed because that's what he looked like uh, but at the time that he got there there was no blood anywhere so he uh, got the horse loaded into a trailer brought it into the clinic I looked at the horse when it got to the clinic and I uh, the horse had a pack cell volume of 12 so, I mean, he had lost a lot of blood, pale as a ghost. So uh, we started him on a blood transfusion. Uh, and so we had to, you know, gather up the blood, get, the, get a transfusion started. And uh, he was weak as a kitten. Uh, we, uh, and I scoped that horse up the, the nose and the guttural pouches down the trachea Every place that you could look for blood or blood clots, there was not a drop of blood anywhere. Uh, I did a oral exam, but the only speculum that we had in the clinic was a spool speculum. So I stuffed the spool speculum in one side and looked, and stuffed it in the other side and looked. Didn't see anything in the mouth that looked abnormal. Uh, radiographed the guttural pouches. Uh, didn't do complete head films, but did a sinus film, took a, a lateral, closed mouth lateral of the sinuses, no uh, fluid in the sinuses, no fluid in the guttural pouches. So where did the blood come from? So I thought that when the horse first came in that we were going to end up taking him to surgery for a, a, a carotid artery uh, problem. And, uh, but at the end of the day, we, he had gotten his blood transfusion, the horse was feeling great. 
and we'd had a muzzle on him all day because I was anticipating going to surgery, but I never could find anything to do any surgery on. So I told the uh, barnkeeper, I said, go ahead and pull the muzzle off of that horse and feed him. So she dumped some grain in his feed box, pulled the muzzle off of him. Five minutes later, she came, comes running into the clinic. This horse is down in the stall, he's bleeding, and he was laying in the stall in a puddle of blood, uh, and he bled to death right in front of me. So I posted that horse, uh, and that horse had two back hooks on his lower 11s or lower back molders that were about an inch and a half long on both sides and they had cut the palatine artery in the upper jaw and no telling how long this horse had been suffering from you know blood loss just chronic blood loss from these large sharp hooks uh, but i had missed the diagnosis on that simply because I didn't do a good oral exam. But until I saw that horse, I'd never seen a horse with back hooks that long. I mean, I'd seen little back hooks, but I'd never seen those big spikes in the back. Uh, but I swore after that day that I would do an oral exam. I'd get a mouth speculum, and I'd start doing oral exams on horses. And it changed my life. Uh, I mean, that horse changed the, my whole outlook on looking in mouths and so from that point on every colic I'd worked on ever you know I just started doing oral exams and once you start doing oral exams you start finding stuff uh, but in my training as a surgery resident and uh, a clinician uh, I can remember horses coming into the university with draining tracks from their mandible that we knew they had a bad tooth. Well, you didn't even do an oral exam. You just sent them to radiology. The radiologist would tell you what tooth to punch out. You take them to surgery, knock the tooth out, and never did an oral exam on the horse. Uh, and so it was, uh, it was not emphasized in my training uh, that you needed to do good oral exams. Uh, but there were certain clinicians that were better than that than others. But after I saw that horse, that changed the way I started feeling about dentistry. Wow, that would be life-changing. Well, I'm going to thank you, Dr. Easley, for joining us today on D Disease Du Jour. And thank you for listening to our podcast. You can hear previous and future podcasts of Disease Du Jour on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. We hope you will join us again in the future for another episode of Disease Du Jour.